His stiff workwear pants stood straight up on the floor where he had taken them off, like the bottom half of the third member of a threesome opting to watch and not join in. He walked over to his lab mate, Dr. Sheila Lascar. They, alone, together, working late to stop this scourge, but unable to stop the pandemic in their hearts and loins. Let's do this part together, he said, grabbing her hand, then dropping the dropper and dropping drops of blood in the petri dish on the counter. I want to find the cure to this goddamn sickness, and I want to find my way into your feelings of love. With that, they squeezed drops into the dish together. He looked into her eyes and said, let's make a culture in this dish, and then let's make love. Now that's from my novel, To Catch a Virus. I actually wrote it several years ago, way before the pandemic, but I could see it coming. I'm kind of a bellwether for stuff like that. I get sick, and then all sorts of people get sick around me too. I don't know, it's a gift. You know, I was possibly the epicenter of a hay fever and chlamydia outbreak in college, but no one is able to officially trace it to me. But where are my manners? Hi everyone, it's me, Dwayne Ditterman, voice actor. And author. I use my silky tones to record the tomes that aren't given enough attention, but reveal the true human condition. Now, I've had many careers on my way to superstardom in the audiobook world. I was briefly a volunteer fireman, but I learned it's not just about being topless and having a baller mustache. Not everyone knows I had another brief career divergence as an adult film actor, which many of us actors dabbled into as we're finding our way and learning to read contracts. I wouldn't necessarily say I was a porn actor. I was perhaps a little naive when I stepped on set, but I soon realized they needed me to be mostly or entirely naked at times on camera. And I wouldn't call these failed career paths. But if I did call these failures, even when they're totally not, why would I do that? Because failure is an important step on the way to success. I don't see failures in the same way your possibly underdeveloped sense of cutthroat entrepreneurship does. In fact, I just see it as a word. A word with a, an F, an A, an L, an E, and a year. See, barely means anything when you separate it out like that. But when you use it in the middle of your road to success, like a pedestrian crossing on the Autobahn, where, oh sure, it looks super dangerous, but it's also exciting. And the only way you're going to get from this arid desert of humdrum life to the land of sausage and beer, carbs and protein, the essential ingredients of building a successful career life. That's a word I made up, combining career and life, because I see no separation between them. But hey, I don't need to tell you all of this. If you're here, you know who I am. And you know me, and you know who I am. Why did I say that twice? To remind you, you know who I am. But for those who may not, I mean, I guess I shouldn't exclude the soon-to-be-initiated new Twitter Manningtons. Ooh, sidebar, that's what we should call our utopian village. New Twitter Mannington. Hmm. So, for you new, new Twitter Manningtonians, I am, again, Dwayne Ditterman, and I've made my most lucrative career to date as the voice of the unheard. I bring to life all the obscure tales too boundary-pushing for the normal brand flakes and house slippers world that many of you, my fans, consume like so much sweet, sweet chocolate in your bathroom. Maybe you feel a bit embarrassed by your love of these stories infused with ideas often unspoken but oftener unleashed on the page. Not embarrassed enough to not leave a glowing five-star review on Amazon or Goodreads, but you do it under a fake name, a username, an avatar, a pseudonym. For all of you who find your pleasures in the thesaurus, which isn't weird at all, for we know how provocative words can be. 
And that's what I do. I take those words, the normal ones and the expressive ones, and give them sexy voice. I narrate your underappreciated words and bring them to life. Because while words on a page are oh so arousing, they're all the more arousing coming from my voice. Which is why I've decided to start the podcast. To give you the gift of my dulcet tones delivering the best in unpublished, underpublished, and self-published fiction with an underappreciated subtext. At first, I'll be reading from my own work, which was inspired by my years of learning the authorial trade by wrapping my lips around the stimulating words of published authors, and later, I want to read your works of lip-smacking fiction, because I know what it's like to be unheard. So that's me, and that's where we'll begin. Now, back to To Catch a Virus. We pick up on Bert and Sheila having discovered the cure, must now keep it from being stolen by competing pharmaceutical giants and their private armies. I know, this totally seems pertinent right now, but I swear I wrote this four years ago. Bert, quiet. You can tell me about gene replication later, when we're alone again. She smiled slightly and gave a wink. But right now, we've got more important worries. Flexilon Pharma's guys are in the building. They're armed, and they want this vaccine. It'll make them more billionaires, and everyone will laud them as having saved humanity. And I want us to save humanity too, but I wouldn't mind a couple bills so we could retire to an island together. Bert pursed his lips, shutting himself up. He knew she was right, and he knew he loved it when she was this scheming. He nodded solemnly, then put one vial of Vaccine 244X in the inner, zipped-up pocket of the vest he was wearing under his lab coat, and put the other backup vial inside his underwear, just in case they ran into trouble. He knew it was gross and dangerous to put the vaccine to one of humanity's most voracious viruses next to his currently sweaty genitals, but he had to take the chance that if discovered, the goons wouldn't possibly reach in there. Look, Sheila... Before we sneak out of here, you have to do me a favor, too. She cocked her head to the side and said, What? Bert slowly smiled and said, Stop looking at me with those beautiful goddamn doe eyes. You're right, this is too serious and important, and there'll be plenty of time later to celebrate in style. They nodded knowingly to each other. Bert slowly peeked around the corner. The coast was clear. He could see the exit brightly marked by a glowing red exit sign. But he knew this would be the obvious place the farmer bruisers would be waiting. Being the excellent planner that he was, he looked around for alternate escapes. Sheila, as if reading his mind, tapped him on the shoulder and pointed towards a ventilation grate up the wall a few feet in front of the door. It was high up, but if they had something to boost themselves, they could make it. Aha, he thought spying a rolling desk chair just inside the doorway of an office. Sheila tapped him on the shoulder again and pointed at the chair. I know, he said, perhaps a bit too sharply. I just saw it. He made sure to calm himself down. Being snipey didn't help the situation right now, and that was no way to talk to the woman he loved. He took a deep breath, and they tiptoed down the hall, pausing at each stray sound an air conditioner turning on, the random creaks and clicks of a settling building, the whispers of the ghosts of millions of people over the years who couldn't be saved in time. They made it to the office. He grabbed the chair and slowly started wheeling it towards the vent. It was hard to keep it silent, the plastic wheels occasionally sliding rather than rolling over the linoleum floor. He motioned to Sheila that he would hold the chair while she unfastened the screws on the vent 
and she nodded she understood. He marveled in that moment at how much could be understood between two people with looks, without words. It bolstered the feelings of the powerful physical connection they felt for each other beneath the deep feelings. They reached the vent, and Bert held the chair. Sheila stepped up and pulled out the multi-tool she kept with her at all times. He loved that she was so prepared. A vestige of her time as a stage manager for theater productions in college. She had unfastened three of the four screws and was about to reach the fourth when they heard a noise outside the exit door. It was them. They were coming. And they were close. Bert felt rising panic, unsure what to do. His panic clouded his thoughts and froze him just long enough for a pharma tough to open the exit door and step inside. He looked as you'd expect, bald head with a faint stubble showing his hairline, a black suit and gray turtleneck, stocky build. Their eyes met and widened. The hooligan, whose instincts were much more trained for this situation, moved first, and yet Bert, acting on impulse, moved quicker. He pulled Sheila off the chair, he'd apologize later, and shoved it forcefully towards the rushing brute. It was a perfectly placed shove, and the chair hit the guy in his gut, knocking the wind out of him. Sheila, quite the athlete herself, leapt up, sprinted over, and punched him with all her might, sending him to the floor, out cold. Bert and Sheila looked at each other, terrified and exhilarated, and feeling like spies. Their joy quickly faded, though, as they heard more footsteps down the hall. Bert ran and grabbed the chair, moved it back to the vent. He motioned for Sheila to get back up to the vent, which she did, rotating the cover and climbing in. Bert followed, doing his best to balance the chair. She helped him into the vent shaft, and they closed the cover behind them. That's another sample from To Catch a Virus, which I'm sure you've already picked up. But if not, you totally should, because the story goes in a direction that you're probably not expecting. Now, let's move on to the Q&A section for my fans out there who've had all sorts of burning questions and insights that they've wanted explained by me. I have so many emails and tweeted ats, DM'd ats, TikTok'd ats. I've been added a lot. First question. Listener Jay Ableton asks, How do you, as a male, write such compelling female characters? Follow-up? <laughs> well, that's quite bold, assuming you could have a follow-up, but I'll allow it. How do you then find just the right voice to give such rich emotional depth? Great question. I, I love this question. Glad I allowed you to continue. Well, to your first query. I, like many people, have had to take in a lot of new information these past few years about the female of the species and how she operates. There were completely valid criticisms about how men would write women in scripts, for example. So, I read those articles and just tried to do the opposite. Like in that last passage, having Sheila punch that guy, I felt this was a good metaphor for the fight of women. And in other parts of the book, whenever I had an instinct to describe a woman's looks, I would stop myself. No, Duane, that's not all women are about. And I would instead make her have, like, amazing ideas that the guy totally hadn't thought of. But, you know what, you can't just flip it and have the women have all the good ideas and the guy be dumb. It has to be balanced. Which is why in places, like the last passage, I made sure they both had that idea about the chair. And when he snaps, that's a metaphor for the patriarchy. Thanks for your question, Jay. 
Next question. Listener Q Anan asks, wait, Q? What an unusual letter to start your name with. I, I can't think of a single name or, or even word that would start with Q. <laughs> anyway, to your question. Is your book actually a cipher for how to take over the world? Wait, what? See, I don't even know where you got that from, but no. <laughs> I mean, look, if you can find a guide to world dominance in there, please tell me where it is. I could use it to put some gas in my car. <laughs> Seriously, if you find something in there that I've missed, um, could you please just send it on back? Because everybody could use just a little more buffer for retirement. Thanks, Q. All right, let's see. Next question. Listener B. Long asks, Are you sure you didn't write this this year? It seems way too much like current events, and I didn't even discover it until August. You even have a hapless president on the verge of losing. <laughs> no, look, look, B. Like I said before, I know. But honestly, it's as if the winds of history were all in there, blowing in my mind in front of me, and I could see the smoke trails wisping from side to side, spelling out words that made sentences that just, you know, happened to portend the future. Back then. Th that, that we live in now. I mean, look, I'm not superstitious or into mumbo-jumbo, and I only know one person who was cured of coronavirus by eating onions. But I do sometimes see the future. I mean, I see a thing in my mind's eye, and then it later totally comes true. It's probably not mystical or anything, more like uh, guessing the stock market based on multiple strings of world occurrences occurring. You know, like a super taster. I, I think I just have a natural ability to see a lot of strings coming together on the high-flying kite of history. That's all we have time for today for the questions section. I just want to say thanks all for joining me on this premiere pilot episode of Dwayne Ditterman Reads, or DDR for short. Oh, hey, maybe someday this will be as popular as, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival, and, and people will adopt DDR like CCR. Until then... Keep reading with your ears.